Ahora Janaka, Douglas Brooks here. I hope this finds you well. It's Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. I went surveying the news this morning. I found floods in Libya and the continuing devastation of earthquakes in Morocco. The meeting of tyrants across the world war and on the home front, questions about democracy and justice, a four-time indicted ex-president and a Congress with nothing better to do than to begin impeachment proceedings, groundless as they seem, against their current political rival president. So I went looking for truth and I found a good bit for us to think about, think about how we're going to contend with these matters of the world, matters at home and abroad, matters inside our hearts and out. So I wanted to tell a story about truth today. Very early in our studies, sitting with my teacher, Appa, I asked him for the core of his understanding. What exactly did he believe? What did he think truth is about? What is truth? I was barely more than a teenager and I was eager to believe because I longed for the truth from science, from religion, from wherever I could find it. I went looking and I knew I wanted something substantial, something real and lasting. I thought there might be even something, you know, finished, complete, a kind of perfected result. Was there that kind of truth, ultimate truth? Was that on offer here? I was about to find out these questions would raise the stakes. They would invite more questions about truth than answers. Truth sometimes appears in answers, Hapa said, telling me from the beginning that our quest first depends on the quality of our questions and our genuine willingness to take up the journey. The spirit of truth must be a willing participant in the ardor that often demands and challenges us to invite more than a little more discomfiture. I'd come to Appa with just enough exposure to India and Western philosophy to know that each school of thought had what was called a siddhanta, that means a definitive view. Through careful presentment of assumptions understood to be shared, then in evidence presented, sound reasoning, each school, each philosopher would reach a conclusion, a truth. The conclusion in the hands of most of India's philosophers was also meant to be liberating. That is, conclusion's truth is freeing. That's worth thinking about. The result is that we become more free from the things that bind us to falsities and more free to act, think, in the experience of a now more empowered life. Truth is the fuel that empowers the freedom to act and the courage to engage our hearts set upon our prospects. But it is as much a vehicle, a means, 
a journey with all its demands and requisites, even if it is our destination. It's interesting to note before we get even further along here that the agreed assumptions of India's philosophers must also be siddha. This means that we can only assume something we can agree is already accomplished, siddha. That's what siddha means, something accomplished, something agreed upon. We must establish something to be siddha, agreed upon, for each of us to reach any conclusion, siddha, which is said to be true. An accomplished fact is also called siddha. So siddha is our agreed upon assumption and our concluding fact. Sometimes siddha means perfected, perfected in the sense of completed, without or even beyond further dispute. And so we agree that it is sound, which means something's really true. And to make this clearer still, then, the conclusion of the argument is meant to be siddha because its truth is deemed similarly veridical. It's a point we reach as a truth genuinely regarded as a settled matter, siddha. Such truth is said to confer achievement, siddhi. We take that point a bit further because siddha refers to those endowed with the results and the benefits of having the work, having the work gotten done from the siddha assumption through the process of examination to reach the siddha conclusion, which confers siddhi, achievement, and that means both a sense of power and even commensurate authority. One who is a siddha can be regarded not only as having arrived at the successful conclusion, but also having gained the objective freedom. What is fulfilled is an illustrious task, the achievement of knowledge. That's also often understood to be a state of beatitude, a kind of sublime awareness that's considered perfected, siddha. The siddha is said to be just in such a state of being. Now, just what that entails, that is, what the sources say about this project of siddha, could occupy us for years of careful study. Suffice it to say, not every school and tradition agrees what is the conclusive argument, how that conclusion translates to empowerment, and what freedom, liberation, really means. They'll have a great deal to say about their accomplished ones, their siddhas, but suffice it to say here that these matters of making true arguments or simply accomplishing truth quickly, quickly drift into religious realms, where siddhas are claimed to be able to perform all sorts of deeds that defy credulity. Seems rather ironic to me that siddha becomes a word used not to describe hard-won truths well-deserved for ardor, for the very human process of learning and the human accomplishments that manifest when we make a really good case, even a sound argument. But instead, siddha becomes a state of power that asserts non-rational achievement as the ultimate result or at least as the real byproduct. In other words, what starts out as a quest for facts and truth turns into claims of power, buyer beware. 
The Siddha now is attributed much more than human understandings, made possible as they are with method and doubt and learning, but achieves results that can't be refuted and are demonstrated by applications of dominance, authority, power to shown to reshape the world and our collective experience. That's some dangerous business, and Uppa was careful to make clear he wanted nothing to do with that kind of siddha. We must not allow achievements to become idolatry. That's where it gets cultish. The siddha is no longer knowledgeable by serious shared endeavors of learning, but instead by an irrefragible personage of power. This is why we mustn't allow the idea of siddha as an accomplished truth to become a symbol of indisputable truth. Rather, it's that truth is indispensable because it involves the power to make disputation, honest argument into worthwhile human discourse, and so into empowerments. What we do with power is up to us, but where there is truth, there is power to be had. Think um, Einstein's equation here, and we immediately recognize that true formulas can have very real consequences. The connection between trying to get it right and becoming powerful, whatever we think that means, is never an easy matter to sort out, no matter where we look in the course of human events. How true achievements are said to manifest power puts us right back in the middle of the most controversial human endeavors, to say nothing of how truth can be misconstrued or what to do about the powers of misinformation, disinformation, and the manipulation to produce wholly unedifying, dangerous results. To misuse an argument is dissociated from the work of the Siddha and begins to smack of what Indian mythologies regard as the work of the demons. In other words, it's the demons who make truth the handmaiden of falsity in order to procure power by whatever means for whatever ends. So we know power can be had with or without the truth so long as what's true is less important than what serves a particular desire, however selfish or manipulative and salutary, even however destructive that desire is. It's those latter traits that define the demons in our myths and stories, and they help us distinguish truth as a project that frees us to attend to the world in a healthier way. Now, the Sanskrit word for truth here, this helps. It's the word satya, and it's directly related to the word sat, and that's directly cognate to the English verb is. Thus, the truth is what really is, what's real. And we're being invited to find out what that means by creating well-accomplished siddha arguments. Put the other way around, a well-accomplished argument is what we call true because it somehow stands with reality. And it stands up to the rigors of the process of argument. Truth isn't only the results, and this is the important point right here. Truth is the process that we have to take seriously. We have to take to heart and mind. That's a lot to take in, but whoever thought finding things out, much less true things, would be easy. Well, for now, I'm not going to survey yet another tradition's case. 
how this or that philosophy makes their claim of Siddha and the rest. Though, as I said, I do love this process of discovery and learning. I'm deeply curious how different schools of thought and different humans who lived in particular histories created an understanding of their world. The history of humans attempting to form truths and the meta-issue of what they think truth really is, these are worth our time. We'll invariably learn as much about ourselves as we do about the past. When we ask why we think something or another is true, we put ourselves in a position to change, to grow, to evolve, not only with the things we think are true, but with learning itself. Truth isn't just what's learned, it's the learning. So I want to return to that day I asked Appa for his Siddhanta. What was his last conclusion? His end game, his truth. He must have one, right? Well, first he explained much of what I hope I just tried to say here, all the while twisting his pencil and speaking in tones that meant to invite rather than admonish or insist. Truth is I came to learn from learning with him and from this example. That might be discomforting, might be difficult to claim, it might be hard won, but in his person, truth and learning were never heartless. In fact, even the toughest truths offering the most painful messages need to come straight from the heart as they do from a clarified mind. Discomforting truths are the beginning of true compassion because we become willing to address the facts as far as we can admit them to be known. What Appa wanted to make clear was that any pursuit of truth must honor truth as a process, and that that endeavor must occur in the light, with transparency and illumination sought in good faith. By good faith, he meant without duplicity, with candor, with no second agendas and as few biases unstated as possible. He never said our conclusions wouldn't matter because it was only process, nor did he did he dismiss the ways in which truth empowers? But he was wholly, entirely skeptical, I want to say, nearly dismissive of assigning mystical power, much less beatitude or special human status or superhuman status, to truth achievers, to siddhas. Appa said that things are as true as we are committed to the integrity and the process of discovery in the process of evidence and reason. The very human task of acting honestly must be our armature, committed to principles of honor itself, seeking incorruption, either inside or out. It's not that we have to be perfect, because his point was that we full well know we're not. Rather, truth-seeking isn't just about being ethical. It takes a heart set upon being ethical, even to get the process underway. We can't be truth seekers until we decide to be good. Now, not to be insufferable about the matter, I think that what Appa was saying about these traditionalist philosophers of India provides a worthy contemplation for our current situation. We're going to need to fight the honest temptation and inclination we have for our own biases. We're going to have to want to be honest, even to have the chance at truth as an empowerment, 
as a city. How we will address the very issues of climate change or deadly global pandemic, technological assault, the politics of oppression, all the attendant cruelty and aggression and manipulation. We must come first to honor that truth is process. We're going to have to recognize that those processes are themselves matters of dispute. We're going to canvas assumptions and bias and predispositions. Where do they come from? How do they influence us? We're going to have to take seriously the very human endeavor of uncovering the facts, sorting them honestly, whether or not they redound to our advantage. We're going to have to let the deep discomfort, the felt anxiety, and the waters of pain in which we swim just to breathe, to enter into conversations with reason, with our wits, with good sense. That sounds hard or paradoxical. That's what we're going to have to do. That's a sedanta worth having. And most of all, we're going to try to build day by day, as far as we can, a fortress made of integrity, not to become invulnerable or impregnable, but to become more capable, more receptive, more stalwart in efforts to be true to ourselves, true to each other. India's philosophers help us here because to be true literally is to keep it real, to keep it satya. And being real is compelling and it's empowering because it is indeed efficacious, it's productive. Operating with purpose and meaning is our real end game. So Uppa told me his Siddhanta wasn't about belief. Rather, it was about creating measures, a process of development, a course and means of proceeding and moving. It was dynamic. And if it was going to be empowering, it was going to have to be about how willing we are to trust and how much confidence we can place in our hearts, how courageous we are to create truth. The world precarious and dangerous, but truth is empowering, not because we don't falter or stumble, but because we can commit, commit to trials with candor, without forsaking empathy without giving in to indignity. We may have to tolerate what's abhorrent to protect freedom. People will lie or manipulate. They'll create whole structures devoted to dissimulation and profit made by using misinformation silos. But we will let light cleanse and truth refine itself. We will purge the false, disinfect and restore what endures as value. We're going to need cameras in the courtrooms of the mind and the heart. We'll be careful to protect the innocent from indecent exposures. We may sometimes have to resort to a dignified reluctance while criminals go crimin', liars lie, and the cowards capitulate. But we will not respond to their hysterias, take their bait, swallow their poison, play in their sullied sandboxes of mistrust and dishonesty. We're not above them or this world. We're not beyond fear, certainly not beyond anger. But we are going to keep it real by staying in a world of facts as far as they can be known, 
by trying to make arguments that play by honest rules. Because truth is an outcome only when it's a commitment, a process, a manner, a feature of our character. When we remain considerate and respectful of what we can accomplish and are modest about, then we stand a chance for truth. Papa said to me that every question invites us to follow the evidence wherever it takes us, be prepared as far as possible to evolve our understandings, even to change our truths, to admit errors when they were made because that's the true position of strength and vitality. That's the shakti, the dynamism of truth lies in our capacity to grow. He reminded me that humility is not submission, but rather the real prospect of better understanding born of learning. And for learning to be true, it's going to have to challenge the truths that we learn. But we'll be in it together because the truth is a process of looking for what's real, no matter what else we find along the way. Belief, he said, wasn't as important as the course we take to forge a path forward, one that opens us with the benefit of light, no matter how much shadow we must contend with. What will make for a future worthy of our possibilities, then, is a commitment to take these hard tasks of learning and grow with action and inspired creativity as our aims. Truth under those terms can be ever under revision, and yet we can still hold fast in this whirlwind. We've got to do this together, of course, because to keep it real, we're going to need more than just ourselves, our feelings and opinions. We're going to have to make the case together. The case we make for ourselves will depend on how deeply we commit to making the same case for all. It's never any simple matter to make truths true for all, but it is our task then to invite all to a process of truth, to its honest pursuit. There, there we stand a chance for what ancient India called Siddha, an accomplishment that takes us to freedom. Thanks, Rajanika. Thanks for your time. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Shine